0: Hello and welcome to the Golf and Greenkeeper podcast. I'm your host, Steve Smith, and today sees a return of the Greenkeeper's Shed. And on the back of the recent floods across many areas of the east coast of Australia, I wanted to give you an idea and talk about what's involved in flood recovery and repair on a golf course after it's been devastated by the floods. This is episode number 47. <laughs> Now, I just wanted to start off by saying that I feel deeply saddened by the devastation and the complete level of devastation from these floods. And if you're coming from around the world, other parts of Australia, you're not quite sure where I'm talking about. We're talking southeastern Queensland and and all of this is happening on the east coast of the country in our recent uh, or the year that we've got of La Nina, which is a wetter and above average rainfall. And uh, the last sort of week has seen the uh, southeastern parts of Queensland, so we're talking the Sunshine Coast just north of Brisbane, Brisbane and the Gold Coast, which is just south of Brisbane, and also the Northern Rivers region of northern New South Wales, so that includes areas around sort of the the Lismore area, Mullumbimby area, and it, it even comes down even further to Grafton and the likes, and a little bit further inland as well into Casino and a few other areas too. Uh, Ballina and the likes on the coast. So it's been a wide scale, a wide, widespread system flooding rain event. And then it eventually um, it went out to sea for a couple of days and come back and smash Sydney. And uh, we've had floods along a number of rivers in the Sydney Basin, and it's been uh, quite devastating to some of those areas in the last couple of days as well. Now these floods haven't just been devastating to golf courses. Sadly, many lives have been lost. Uh, through people being trapped in their homes, trapped in floodwaters. And uh, it's it's been a terrible time for so many people and so many families and so many communities uh, along the east coast of Australia where these floods are. So our hearts, and, and certainly my heart goes out to all those that have been devastated and have sadly lost their lives. So just to put things into perspective, we are talking about golf courses, but um, you know it, it's devastating when you hear that people's lives have been lost. I'm just going to start off with some I've heard a, a lot of stories but I'm just going to go through a couple of little small stories um just some bits and pieces of some details about some courses that I've recently heard about. It's not uh, going to be too long. I'll probably leave that for a walking the fairway segment, to be honest, where I can go through a little bit more because I wanted to talk about what's involved. And this is the Greenkeeper shed with this one. So I wanted to talk about what's involved in flood recovery for a golf course. So as a golfer, as, a, as someone out there who's not going to get a chance to play your, your regular course potentially that's been flood affected, uh, to give you a bit of an idea of what's involved in getting it back up and running, it doesn't happen in a couple of days. But I just want to talk about a couple of points of some courses that I've heard some bits and pieces and some details about. Now, we start with Gympie, which is two hours north of Brisbane. And we're anyone who's got any idea and, and been hearing about these flood-ravaged uh, areas in Australia, Gympie was one of the first areas savagely hit by the floodwaters. It's two hours north of Brisbane. It's up there in the sort of just north of the Sunshine Coast, more or less, in the far northern reaches of it. And they copped a flogging with the flooding of the Mary River, which runs through town. And as we know, as I mentioned, it's one of, it was one of the worst hit and certainly one of the first hit. That's where this system started and really started to push in with these heavy, heavy, long periods of rainfall. Now, there were there were so many places ravaged by these floods, like I mentioned, and I'm, I'm just going to give you some details, like I say, about a few bits and pieces. So Gympie, I believe, had a flood level where the river rose to 23 metres, That's the that's the number above the uh, the normal level of the river, twenty three meters above the normal river height. Now, just to give you an idea and to put things into perspective, twenty three meters is very high. We've all probably seen the diving platforms at the public swimming pools, the big, you know, the three meter, five meter, ten meter diving platforms. So you remember standing around them and looking up at the highest ten meter platform, going, "Shit, that's high." Well. This is more than double the height of that 10-metre platform. So just cast your mind back. Think about standing there and looking up to that 10-metre platform, then double it plus a little bit more. That's how far above the normal river level it rose at Gympie. Hard to really get your head around and comprehend just how high that is. Honestly, that just is totally mesmerizing to me. I, can't, I cannot fathom how high that river has gone. Now I had a comment on social media and and I was doing a lot of looking around to try and see if people who were locals to certain golf courses around uh, that might have um, had some photos been able golf course people been able to to show some photos of their local golf courses just to see how how um, devastating the flood levels were and, and what they'd done to the courses it's just hard to comprehend. Um, and I always keep my, my eyes across all that sort of stuff. And I had a comment on social media from uh, a, a guy by the name of Brendan, who's also known as a golfer's journey on Instagram. Now, he tells me that there's a main bridge, he's a, he's a local to the Gympie region, and he tells me that there was a main bridge in Gympie that is normally 10 metres. It's a 10 meters, um, 10 metre clearance above the normal river height. Now, that flood level of 23 metres, this is just to put things in a perspective. That flood level of 23 metres means that at the peak flood level, when it reached 23 metres at that bridge, there was more water over the top of the bridge than there was under it. In fact, 13 metres of water was over it and there was only 10 metres clearance underneath. That's just staggering. It really is. And I've seen some photos of the Gympie Sports Club there, which is the golf course, the local golf course. And there's so much water on it. But but some of the images coming out of the news places, 23 metres is what that river rose to above its normal river height. Staggering. Now, a quick mention to a, a place that we know that's been flood ravaged in the past, and that's Indrapilly Golf Club, the wonderful Indropilly 36-hole complex there in Brisbane City on the banks of the Brisbane River. Now, it's been affected again by this flood, um, not to the same level, thankfully, of the devastating 2011 floods, which was which was another, I think it was all accounts, another couple of metres higher again, but still plenty of water over the golf course and lots of mud and silt to clean up. Now, I owe this bit of info as a shout out to Dean Hardman, who's the, the assistant superintendent there at Indrapilli. Um, I know Dean, he did come from Kalara Golf Club in Sydney a few years ago now, and uh, and Dean's now up there. Working as part of the team at Indrapilly, and uh, and and look, it's a shout out to indeed the whole team there who who will do a fantastic job bringing this course back to life. They've got a lot of work ahead of them, as do so so many golf courses. But that's Indripili went under in some of its lower parts of the golf course there on the banks of the Brisbane River and certainly all the other areas, uh, there's some of the high areas which have some water bodies around that flooded and and, and uh, went over the top of lots of turf areas on the course. So they are now in the midst of doing a big clean-up and plenty of silt to clean up there at Indo-Pilly. Uh We know that on the banks of the Brizzy River there, it's um, they do get plenty of damage and, and lots of silt deposits there. And then there's Ashgrove Golf Club in the suburb of The Gap in the west of Brisbane. Now it's got a it has got a lovely or had a lovely little stream running through it called Enogra Creek and that little stream became an enormous an enormous raging torrent during this rain event and like most other courses, it suffered significant damage from the power of all that water. Now, I owe this bit of info to uh, a, a guy by the name of Benjamin who's one of the new apprentices or who is the new apprentice there uh, at at, um, at Ashgrove Golf Club and he shared a bit of information on social media and certainly gave me uh, some details about what had happened on the golf course and it's devastating news for the, uh, for the Ashgrove Golf Club there on course. Now, To give you an idea of what they received in damage-wise, their whole third tee is now missing. It's completely gone. There are three bridges on the golf course that used to cross the creek. Now they're gone. The fifth fairway is knee-deep in mud. It's got a a valley there through that cuts across the middle of the the fifth fairway, and it's got such a big silt and mud deposit on it. And, And one of the biggest changes that Mother Nature made to the golf course is the creek itself has now chewed out 15 extra meters of ground it took away and uh, is now the creek is now greenside on the ninth hole the power of water is just incredible and if you've ever watched it and i was at katoomba golf club was was my home track as a superintendent and i did my time at went with falls in the blue mountains now luckily at the blue mountains you're you're up high you're a kilometer up in the sky and um The good thing is we don't get floods, but what we get is flash flooding. So with heavy rainfall, storm events, or prolonged rainfall, you would see the power of water as it would accumulate and and come off a lot of the higher ground and and accumulate into the low-lying creek areas that would eventually run off to the sides of the Blue Mountains itself and fall off in the giant cascading waterfalls that it's famous for. But uh, we had a couple of occasions when water, just the damage of moving water is just staggering. And so that gives you an idea at Ashgrove Golf Club. They have got a big cleanup to do there. Like I said, and these are just a couple of the courses that I've heard about in a little bit more detail at the moment in some of these early days. Um, There's a lot of cleaning up to do, but that's at Ashgrove, uh, as I mentioned, at The Gap. Now, one of my favorites up on the Gold Coast is the Glades, and and if you've seen me on social media, you know that I was up the Gold Coast just a couple of weeks ago, and sadly for Superintendent Glenn Gibson-Smith and the whole team at the Glades... They, uh, they went totally underwater, completely, the whole golf course completely submerged again in flood water. Now, like I mentioned, I played there the other day, and, uh, or just a couple of weeks ago now, and the course, I think they only had, look, if, if they had a handful of bunkers to completely, uh, just left to completely repair from the flood they had last year, the course was looking fantastic. But if they only had a handful left, that's all it was. So 12 months, they nearly had the whole golf course back up to, to a great standard of everything being finally finished and cleaned up, and the the, the greens were fantastic. I love putting on the bent greens. You've heard me talk about it before. They're fantastic up there at the glades, and uh, Glenn and his team do a fantastic job. But it's a reset button. They're going to start again, the same as they had done twelve months ago. Completely devastating, and and I know and I know that the team will do an amazing job up there, as they did with the last flood. And it's it's no doubt. Look, it's a, it's a big hill to climb, but I've got no doubt they'll do another amazing job rebuilding that golf course and getting it back up to uh, back up to the standard we know that the Glades is and it can be, and we love playing it when it is so. So um, look, that another golf course, another well known golf course that uh, that was devastated. Like I keep saying, along with so so many up there, there's just so many golf courses around that southeast Queensland region uh, that have been devastated by these floods. It's, it's quite staggering. Now, I moved to Sydney, uh, to where, basically, where I live in a suburb of Sydney, and uh, one of my favourite golf courses, and we had the floods here too just in the last couple of days, one of my favourite golf courses, being that in, in the Western Sydney region, is Linwood Country Club, and uh, they completely went under again. Third time in three years, the Hawkesbury River has flooded the Hawkesbury-Nepean, and Linwood has gone under. Every time they rebuild the golf course... General Manager, Matt Bailey, Superintendent, Nathan Ball. They rebuild the golf course. They get it back up and going. They do a fantastic job. But three times in three years, geez, I, I, honestly, I feel for all these guys. And and like I said, putting things into perspective, these aren't people's homes. This is a workplace, and this is a place we go to enjoy recreation and playing golf. But geez, I tell you what, tough gig devastating for so many people involved in the club there and 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 look if and one thing i know is if linwood goes under usually riverside oaks which is not too far further down the hawkesbury goes under with the Bungal course as well their 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 newer golf course on the 36 hole complex at riverside so i'm sure that sadly that went under as well and 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 there are a couple of courses around that region on the floodplain there's windsor golf club as well there's a little nine holler at rum core um there, there are just so many countless honestly There are so many golf courses that have gone under with this big system that's, you know, it's the best part of affected uh, a significant portion of the East Coast of uh, the major populated areas of Australia. It's staggering. Now, like I mentioned, these are all just some of the golf courses I'm hearing news about, and and that's not even mentioning courses on the New South Wales Northern Rivers region, such as Lismore, Moowillembar, M- the newly built Teven Valley, Ocean Shores. There's there's Ballina. There's plenty of courses around in that area that was that they had they had a one in a thousand year flood. I don't know how they come to that detail, but that's what's been talked about through um, the Bureau of Meteorology and the like. As a, the the Northern Rivers. Region of New South Wales copped possibly the worst, and it's been evaluated as a one in one thousand year flood. I don't know how they do that, but one in a hundred's gone out the window. They're calling it a one in a thousand, so that gives you a sense of scale and just how devastating it is. There's literally a couple of towns up there, Lismore being one of them. It's a small city, forty-five or something thousand, forty-five, forty-two thousand people. Just the whole place went under. It's just Absolutely heartbreaking. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine what it would be like to be uh, someone who's lived up, who lives up there, or has grown up there, and has got connections there. It's just mind blowing. And some of the stories of survival are, are just incredible. So, um, but just putting it back into perspective. So, look, uh, these are just some of the things I've heard about it. And and look, uh, the courses on the Northern Rivers. Look, they're probably not even considering yet when they're going to be starting work on the course to repair it, you know, to be open for their loyal members and visitors because their homes, their homes have been devastated, their family, their friends. My heart goes out to everyone affected up there, um, everywhere by this catastrophe. It's just completely devastating. But this is the Greenkeeper's shed. So I want to I turn your heads and, and turn your minds a little bit to what it takes for a golf course to rebuild and recover from a flood. What happens when it goes under? Things you've got to think about. What your golf course is going to be doing. So what is ahead for the, for your course that's been affected by these floods? Well, let's start with a full course assessment. So day one, when you can get back out, you can cross those roads, you can get back into your golf courses as as the greenkeeping team, as the as the management team, as boards and committees go out there and assess the damage, the state of affairs, where things are at on the golf course, you, you start off with just a, an assessment of the golf course. Obviously, you're going to look around and see what's going on. And, uh, and you've got to work out how you're going to be getting that grass back out into the daylight because generally speaking with a flood there's a lot of silt deposits and mud deposits around covering grass which is no good for grass growing so the first thing we need to do when we're trying to start the recovery and repair of a golf course after a flood the first thing that needs to happen is we need to clean off all the mud and silt from the turf areas and working out the extent of the damage across the whole property and we'll come to that damage assessment a little bit a little bit later on. But generally speaking, we need to get rid of all that mud and silt because that mud and silt holds so much water and then the soil's already saturated, the grass and everything's growing in. It. So it's got water underneath, no oxygen for the roots. It's got water and mud on top, blocking out any sunlight for eventually when the rain clouds clear. So our grass is really saying that it's screaming out to survive. It's drowning. Effectively, it's drowning. And we need to clear it off. Otherwise, we're going to be re-turfing, re-turfing and reseeding so many areas, and that costs some seriously large amounts of money. So the first thing we need to do is get as much labor as we can and start clearing all those areas off of mud and silt. And it's a huge job. It really is a huge job. Can you imagine walking out there to 30-odd hectares or 50 hectares? 30 hectares is a small golf course. 50-odd hectares covered in mud. I mean, that, that's, you know, generally speaking, that's a big deal. But we've got to start somewhere. And we start with the greens. Always start with the greens. And when we get in there, we hope we hope and pray that we've been able to save our machinery. Because if the shed went under and we couldn't get the machinery out to higher ground in time, you've got no machinery. So hopefully most, most courses and, and the committed Green staff are usually pretty good. They would have been there and, and worked out that things were going to turn pretty bad and would have got the machinery as much as possible to higher ground up around the clubhouse area, no doubt, which is usually higher ground, and um, and had it safe so that it could be used in the cleanup exercise and the cleanup effort. So we start off with the greens. and uh, And if we're talking about a golf course with cool season grass greens, like bent grass and winter grass, now that's only select few places like the Glades, for example, up on in queensland but into northern new south wales there's a few more areas that have bent grass greens and cool season greens and you want to do this you want to clear this mud and silt off as fast as possible De- now depending on how long and in sydney that's pretty much well everyone has cool season grass greens in sydney so depending on how long the greens have been underwater the grass will rot and die resulting in having to to reseed the entire green services and if that happens time wise. You're looking at about 12 weeks, three months effectively before your greens are able to be played on again. That, for example, happened at Linwood, that I mentioned Linwood in Sydney, in Western Sydney. There. That happened last year and, uh, and a few other courses along the Hawkesbury that were underwater. And I think from memory, Linwood was underwater for about a week, seven days or nine days or something. That's a long time for that water to slowly recede. Our, um, and, and with that, all the greens died, so because they're cool season grasses they just can't stand being wet like that they do not like it they literally drown so last year Limwood had to reseed all the greens so you've got to get in as soon as possible as soon as it's safe you've got to get in and you've got to start cleaning off those greens clean the greens off and then move to other areas of the golf course from the greens to the surrounds to the tees and the fairways and the like it depends on the, the, the severity of the silt deposits and the mud deposits now, warm season grasses like cooch and kaiku can survive in water pretty good. It's kind of why they're great weeds, in a sense. Um, so, sort of the, there's less of a time, a, uh, a heightened time frame about clearing off on the ground. But you still want to get it off. you still got to get rid of it. You've still got to get it out there and clean it all up so that um, we can get back to maintaining the green surfaces. Otherwise, they, they start to go pear shaped anyway. But cool season grass greens, bent grass and, and winter grass, cool season grasses. They cannot stand it, they don't like it, they will drown and they will die. So you've got to get that off as fast as possible. And I know know, places like the Glades up in Queensland and some of the Northern Rivers courses and and obviously in Sydney, they will be out there as soon as it's practically possible to get out and start cleaning those greens off. Now the thing about mud and silt is that you can't mow the grass with any of this stuff on the surface. Why? Why can't you mow the grass with any mud or silt on the surface? Yeah, you might think at home with a victor or whatever you can um, but when it comes to cylinder mowers which are the specialist type of mowers that we have for fairways tees surrounds greens if you cut any type of soil deposits or silt deposits it destroys the blades of these mowers in about one meter so you can turn them on you'll get one good step of distance so take a step it's about as far as you'll get before you destroy the blades completely destroy them they just don't do it all they do then is just bash the grass to death and and you just open it up for disease and all sorts of problems you don't actually cut it you just belt the hell out of it with the with the pieces of metal that you're calling blades so you can't do anything whilst ever there's mud and silt on there even even the slightest deposit of of soil on the on the leaf surface will destroy the cutting blades of your greens mowers it just takes the edge off the cutting edge off those blades and, uh, you, honestly, you could probably do a better job with a spoon by hand. That's how bad they get. Because, you know, we're talking about cutting grass on greens down to 3 millimeters, 4 millimeters in height. You know, cutting blades need to be, they're, they're so sharp. They work like a pair of scissors. And, uh, and they cut single, they cut single pieces of paper like a brand new pair of scissors out of a packet. That's how they work. That's how sharp they are. That's how well they cut. You know, when I was in Katoomba, like I said, we didn't really have floods and silt deposits on the golf course to worry about. We had a dust storm one year. Was, I think it was about, oh, if I'd have said it was '09 or something like that, it was a really dry year. We had a massive dust storm blow through from way out in western New South Wales. So it, had, it had traveled 1,000 kilometers, something like that, and, uh, and hit Sydney. And because we're 1,000 meters up in the sky, we're a kilometer up in the sky, we got a really heavy deposit of the dust storm on the ground on all over our golf course. And we just waited for it to clear. I'd never bothered to work. Who works in dust storms? You live on the east coast of Australia. Normally get normal rainfall. Dust deposited on the golf course, all over the grass. Just a nice film of red dust from way out in western New South Wales. And the boys went out there, just waited for it to clear. They, you know, come back to the shed and then darted back out. I had no idea. I was young. I was green. You know, only been in the role for a couple of years. Never dealt with a dust storm before. I went out to cut, got a meter on on tees and uh, on greens, and then all of a sudden there were horrible lines, and the grass was being damaged because the mower blades were cutting the fine deposit of dust on the leaf blade of all the grass, and it destroyed the blades. So we had to bring them all in, take them all off, and sharpen them all up again. But it was just this fine deposit of dust that had destroyed the blades, let alone a layer of silt and mud. So you've really got to clean off every bit of silt off the, the leaf blades of anywhere that you're gonna cut grass. That's how that's how bad it is for the for the mowers. And it has to be that level of cleanliness. So there's a lot of work in cleaning. Obviously, you've just really got to make it nice and clean. Like I mentioned Cleaning the turf off because there's a time limit for survival. How long will it take to return the surface quality that we want? So we, we need to get in there as fast as possible. Now just stop and think about how much grass there is on a golf course that you know might be flood affected. Just stand there and think in your head, 18 greens, 18 surrounds, 18 tees, like all these fine cut areas. That's a lot of mud and silt that have to be cleaned off. That's a lot of, of stilt that's got to be taken off. And how do you get that sealed off? Well, we, we're doing it by hand on the greens. We're using squeegees. We're using shovels, anything with a with a sort of a, 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 a square face to try and get rid of it, push it to the side and get it away. And then what's left, we've got to hose it off. We've got to hose that remaining bit off and hose it off to the sides onto the surrounds and clean that leaf blade right off like I mentioned. So anything that's pushed, anything to push... It doesn't matter what the tool is. Anything to push the shit off to the side of the green so it can be picked up. Then you've got to pick it all up. So you're piling it all up on the side by hand. Then you've got to pick it all up. This is on the green surface. You can use some of the blades on some of the machinery for other areas around the golf course. But generally speaking, on the greens, it's usually done by hand, not to dig up the green surface. It's going to take a few days to get the greens done. Just the greens. And then you can start to worry about the other areas on the golf course. So we're already a few days down. So this is your local golf course. It's going to take a few days to clean off the greens, more or less. Then you need the soil to breathe because it's saturated soil. Because although you've just cleaned the surface off, the roots are probably still struggling to breathe with completely saturated soil. So you have to open up that green surface somehow to try and dry them out. So you're probably going to start to see over the next few days and even the next week, you're probably going to see the greens being tined with solid tines. Not necessarily the hollow tines or the hollow cores that we're used to seeing at renovation time uh, because we don't want to make any more mess that we need to clean up, so solid tines is probably what you're going to find small spikes and that sort of thing just to open up all the green surfaces, get that moisture evaporating. we need to get that moisture out of the soil we need that soil to breathe. We want the sun when it like I said when the sun comes out, we need the wind, we need a bit of air movement, we want the sun we need we need to dry the green surface out to firm them up and replace that moisture with oxygen so we can get those grass roots to breathe. Otherwise, the the plant's going to struggle. All the turf's going to struggle. And it's really going to struggle to grow well. To repair. We want it to repair. That's that's what we're trying to do. We want it to recover. So, okay, you've got a few teams out there working now on greens and cleaning up the silt on other areas of the golf course. It's pr- it's probably time to start working out how you're going to start fixing areas that have been physically damaged, guys. This is what your, your superintendent, this is what your general manager, this is what your boards are thinking out there on the courses that you're used to playing, uh, that you play regularly. This is where they're at. So we need to work out how we're going to start to fix the physically damaged areas. I'm talking about areas that in the initial assessment where turf areas were cut away by the flow of water, like I mentioned before at Ashgrove, where bunkers have been gouged out, there's sand missing or there's sand that's mixed in with silt and mud. That's all got to be removed all that sand's got to come out of all those bases. If there's any mud or silt in the bunker sand, you've got to dig all the sand out, dump it, it's useless. You've you've got to get rid of it. So all that stuff's got to come away. Paths, you know, cart paths, foot paths, they might be completely missing. If they're they're road base or if they're gravel paths, if they're concrete or bitumen, they might be washed out and gouged out underneath. They might be broken and cracked apart. You've got to think about how all these areas are going to be repaired. Now, there could be trees down with the wind. Saturated soil, trees will just fall and break naturally. The soil becomes soft around all their roots. So there could be quite a lot of fallen trees around the golf course. Bridges that cross creeks, they might be completely washed away. Uh, they might be small drains with, with, you know, there might be small timber bridges or sleeper bridges that might be easy to repair, but there, others might be actually, you know, five metre long bridges across creeks that need to be replaced. It might cost 20, 30 grand to, to replace. You know, this is the real expensive part of flood repair. These are the big areas that are damaged. You might have had greens washed away. Some places, the greens gouged out, fairways, bits of fairways missing, like I mentioned at Ashgrove, there's teas missing, completely gone. They don't exist anymore. They're, they're, they're now silt and mud deposits somewhere else on the golf course. You know, this is the expensive part. These are the big ticket items. Now, thinking about all that work to do, if there's things that can't be done straight away for when you know you're going to get golfers back out on the golf course, you've got to think about how you can make it safe for golfers in a few weeks' time to, uh, to get back out on the golf course. You, you know, You're not going to be waiting. The course isn't going to be closed for six months until you get everything up and running. You've, you've got to work out how to do Band-Aid solutions and, and how to make it safe for, for golfers to get back out there again. And and those other big ticket items can be, put, can be completed in time. And remember, whilst the golf course is closed, the club isn't making any money. So there is pressure on to get it open, in a sense. In a sense. It's not huge pressure, but there is a bit of pressure there. Now that might sound a bit silly and stupid to be putting that kind of pressure out there, but it's a fact. There's no point dancing around it it is a fact the sooner the golf club opens and the sooner that people can start playing golf on it again the sooner the club can start making more money and making a normal income otherwise it's just costing a lot of cash on top of the cost to repair things you know depending on insurances and all that sort of stuff yeah there's a, there's a lot of moving parts in the background that's what your general managers and your boards are thinking about money that's that's what they're thinking about money and insurance The superintendent and the greenkeeping team are out there thinking about how to physically go out there and fix everything and when they can do it, how fast they can do it. They want to get people out there on the golf course as much as anyone. All I'm saying is that the golf course won't be closed for six months whilst you're waiting for everything to be back up to where it was. You can't do that. It just can be made playable and people will want to play golf. And as greenkeepers, like I mentioned, we want people back out there playing too. Now, I'm not talking about places like Lismore. Where, where there's barely a town left, to be honest. Those, those people have had their lives destroyed by this event. So let's be a little bit realistic. Golf isn't even on their radar yet, and I totally understand that. But I'm talking about your suburban city courses in, say, Brisbane, you know, in Sydney, where people come from other suburbs around to play and support the club that they know and they enjoy, not just the immediate local community around there. It's, the other players, and there's an opportunity to start getting the, the money flow again. Now, bunkers... Well, that might take a year. Like I mentioned with the Glades before, they'd nearly finished after 12 months, more or less. They'd nearly got all their bunkers rebuilt. They were just working through the last few to go, and now this comes and happens again. Bunkers might take a year to repair them all, depending on how many you've got, of course, and how big they are, how much it's going to cost to repair them, you know, an average size, green size bunker that's, you know, like, say, three or four car parks in size, you know, uh, car park spaces, I should say, not three or four car parks. Car park spaces. You know, you're talking something that's about, you know, seven meters long, four meters wide, something like that. It might cost you seven grand to rebuild, seven to ten thousand dollars, depending on the details of what's involved in how the bunkers are made. You've got to rebuild the drainage. So you've got to pull all the sand and silt out, like I mentioned, strip it all back. Then depending on what the bunker liner is, if even if they had a bunker liner, you could clean up all the stones, pull them pull the destroyed bunker liner out potentially, pull all the drainage out, pull all the gravel out, pull all the ag lines out. They're all rubbish now. They're all got shit through them. They've been destroyed. They're probably already destroyed physically now. they're probably all bent and out of shape and all sorts of shit. Because of the way that that fast moving water goes over a void like a bunker it creates an eddy in the water it's very turbulent around the edges of the those bunkers when water's moving across the surface it'll dig in and gouge out it'll mess with everything that's under that sand and your your bunker liners will start to break apart if it's a cloth if it's an old fabric from maybe 5 or 10 years ago before these modern bunker liners like the capillary concretes came out it might be completely mangled uh, the drainage like i mentioned all that's got to be taken out it's got to be just disposed of then you've got to get in and clean it out reshape it rebuild it and then install all the layers back in there's a lot to go on that's just one bunker you might have 40 bunkers on a golf course you might have 10 but say you've got 10 and it costs you 10 grand each yeah that's 100 grand just in bunker repair in materials so you know it's going to take a long time for golf courses to fix those bunkers That's why it's usually staged across. Let's get the golf course open and then we'll start to tick through our bunkers. Now we move... You've thought about all those areas that have been physically destroyed. Now we move on to picking up all the rubbish and debris strewn all over the golf course. Again, that's a large area to pick up all that shit from, right? Think about... Stand there at the clubhouse and look across all the golf course and go, wow, got areas that have got rubbish dumped in corners and low-lying areas. You know, trees down, branches broken... You know, it might be coarse furniture strewn across the plate. You're going to have debris from streets away that could be deposited on the golf course. It's general rubbish. And not only does it have to be picked up, but it's got to go to the tip most likely. There's going to be many large piles of shit to be collected and taken away. So you've got to pick it up from the golf course, pile it somewhere, or or do runs to the tip and and get rid of it. There's a cost to that as well. Everything has a knock-on cost. Everything costs money and everything takes time, and everything has a labor requirement to it so these are the things that are going through your golf course i want you to understand how much is involved you know it's not just three weeks time before a golf course might get open it's what's in that three weeks of work there is so much work involved now you've taken about two or three weeks to do all that stuff right and hopefully the sun's made an appearance by now The grass will be growing its ass off, if that's the case. If the sun's out with all this water and you're getting a bit of temperature, the grass is growing its head off. Now, as a superintendent, greenkeeping staff, you're thinking, shit, we've got to get out there. We've got to be mowing grass. We've got to start knocking it down again. Otherwise, it's going to get out of control. So you've got to to sort of start weighing up yeah, two, two weeks along, you've got to start weighing up when you're going to get back out there and it's dry enough and it's good enough for machinery to start cutting grass. We've got to get these surfaces. There's got to be a plan and a program in place to get these surfaces back to playable. So you've got to get staff out of machines, out there mowing the broadacre stuff roughs, and hopefully you're starting to do fairways by now. And don't forget, if the fairways grow too long, it could be really slow going on that fairway mile. To cut so much grass without having to raise the heights, don't get me started. And talk about how long it takes to change the heights of a fairway mower if you don't have a mechanic doing it for you on site. You know, there's five or seven heads on on a, on each individual machine. It might take you 15 minutes, 20 minutes to change the heights on it. It's not a simple process. You know, um, on each head you take sometimes you can take them off they might be a little bit simpler on some of the new machinery but there's a lot of courses out there that don't have brand new gear they're using older machinery might be might be seven ten years old that you know you got to take the heads off you got to get the height bars down you got to get your tools out change the heights and you got to get the heads and put them back on the machine you know one at a time it's it's a slow exercise so hopefully because if there's too much grass it puts too much stress on the machine as well and you're not going to get a very good cut. There's going to be a lot of clippings out. Look, there's so many knock-ons. You so just need to start cutting grass. And and hopefully by now there's the, you're starting to, to, to mow the greens. You've got them up and about, you know, without having to reseed them. So we're starting to want to mow the greens as well, obviously. Now, guess what? We now know that because the sun is out, with all the moisture that's being brought out of the surface, out of the ground, It's really, really, really bloody humid. Disease loves humidity and warm temperatures. So you're going to be watching those greens like a hawk because disease, there's a high chance that you are now going to get hammered by disease. That's the last thing we need. We're trying to get this course back open for play and clearing up all this debris and shit, just getting it back together, let alone disease going, hi, morning, I'm here, and I'm coming at you with a vengeance because I've got more more water in this soil than I know what to do with. Now that's what that's that's what you're worrying about. So you, you've you've hopefully the other thing is you've you've actually had a chance to put out a preventative fungicide. So that's good. But but if you haven't, depending on the weather, you know, you've got to you've got to start working out when you can get it out there safely. And all that takes staff as well. Now most supers I've been talking to over the last sort of year or more have been screaming for labor. So it's tough to get qualified staff to take and spray the greens and, and look after those areas with fungicide. Now, with all this in mind, have, have, and I'm talking to you about it, have you thought about when you're going to sleep yet? You know, there's not a lot of sleep going on. There's a whole lot of work going on. There's not a lot of sleep happening because there is just so, so, so much work to do. How many staff does your golf course have, do you know, on the green staff? How many green staff are out there? Is there three, six? 15 staff depending on the course how many do you have now i can tell you now that if you've got 3 or 4 staff this is almost an insurmountable job insurmountable volunteers are needed for this exercise volunteers and thankfully usually the call when the call goes out it brings in plenty of volunteers and and you don't even need to make the call there's a lot of a lot of members uh, are offering to help And as you may have heard me talk about, you know, a couple of podcasts ago with Lock and Leash, it doesn't matter how big the golf club is, volunteers are so greatly appreciated helping out on the golf course. So here's a call out from me to you. If you're a member or a player or a regular visitor of a club that's been affected even mildly by these floods, go to the club and ask how you can help out on course. Because what I'm saying to you is that you are gold. Your help is gold. If you've... If you've been able to get on top of things at home, you don't have anything to worry about at home that's that's been flood affected family or friends, and you've you've got a bit of, you know, time and and, and you love your local, your local golf course, go go down and contact the club. Go down and, and and offer and see if there's any way that you can help out on the golf course. Because I promise you, you will be needed and you will be greatly appreciated. It can be as simple as just picking up debris, like I mentioned, raking a fairway of rubbish, you know, getting some silt off. All this stuff helps anywhere, repairing a bunker with a shovel, doesn't does matter. It's labor right now that everyone needs, and you've seen it on the news when it comes to people's homes and all that, you know, but like I mentioned, if you if you can't help other people and privately and personally with, with um, you know, with that sort of thing and you're able to help your club, go and offer it. This is going to be a long process for some clubs and for others it's going to seem like an eternity. But there's one thing I know and I've seen before is that all clubs get through this. And it's with the beating heart of the clubs and the local communities that make it happen. Now apart from the volunteer call out, I'm gonna call on other clubs that haven't been damaged by these floods to help those other clubs that they know who have that that might be nearby. Don't be stubborn. Don't be the board members that say, oh, we're not going to help you out. We've got our own course to look after and present and, and for our members to play. Why not be the club that says yes? Why not be the club that says, we'll offer a bit of help to to our other local golf course that we know just got ravaged down the road, but we're up a little bit higher and we didn't get anything. That There's ones down by the creek that got poleaxed. Why not be that club that says yes? Here's a couple of our guys for a couple of a couple of mornings or a couple of days even to help out maybe even offer a machine that might be helpful to them I, I don't know what you've got why not i think clubs on a larger scale can help each other can help other clubs not just individual volunteers i'd love to hear clubs helping out other clubs i, I want to hear a story about that i want i want someone let me know if your club is helping another club i'd love to hear it so there it is I'm putting it out there. If you're a superintendent, if you're a committee member, a board member of a club that hasn't been affected at all or or that badly, even you're on top of your course, look, even if you're a, a member of a club, just ask your board. Why not talk to a club that's been ravaged and send a small group of staff from your club to help out another? I'm just throwing that out there because everyone needs everyone's help right now. Like I said, I look forward to hearing stories of clubs helping clubs and volunteers, volunteers helping out their club to recover from this. It's going to be a long time to recover from this one and so many regional clubs will take this hit quite, quite hard. I hope everyone can get through this. I'm sure they will, but I just hope that everyone can. All of this work might take two weeks, three months to get Aiden holes back in play. And that's not including having all bunkers back in play, of course, and all the paths repaired, for example. Floods are terrible and possibly the most devastating of all natural disasters because water does so much damage on many, many fronts. It's so powerful. Like I said before, this is going to be a long recovery for some, so I ask you as a visiting player to some of your favorite courses that have been affected. When you play there this time in 2023, when you go back to a golf course that's been flood ravaged next year in 2023, Just remember what the course had to recover from because they may not have been able yet to repair all of the bunkers yet, for example, and all of the paths yet. And the club might not have had enough money to replace that old fairway mile. So the fairways are going to be, you know, maybe cut once a week instead of twice because the money for the fairway mile had to go towards rebuilding the bridge that crossed the creek on the 12th hole or something like that. A new fairway mile costs like over 100 grand these days. They're not cheap just keep in the back of your mind next year when you go to a course that you know is flood ravaged it might be one of your favorites and for me it's the grand, it, it's the glades the grand had plenty of water on their course too up at uh, up at the gold coast but for me it's the glades i'm a big fan of the glades and next year if i get a chance to go up there and play the glades i'll remember that it was only 12 months ago they were completely completely ravaged by flood just keep that in the back of your mind what some of the clubs have gone through when you play them next year because there's a good chance they'll still be repairing the damage from this flood in 12 months' time. That's how big this is. I just want to give you guys a bit of an idea of just what's involved. It's it's an enormous deal. And like I said, you've seen it on the news, you've seen it with people's homes, you've seen it with people's businesses, you've seen it with farms. On a golf course, this is a bit of the detail that, that that your golf courses are going through. This is how much work's involved. So in 12 months' time, there's a good chance they're still repairing some of the damage. And with that final thought, it does get me thinking about golf courses that have recently been built on floodplains. I talk about Linwood, you know, being flood ravaged under the floodwaters, Riverside Oaks. Riverside's been there for a little while, but Linwood's not that old. I think it's about 20 years old. I think of Twin Creeks, southwestern Sydney. It's along two creeks, hence the name. It usually gets flooded pretty well. I think of Stonecutters Ridge in uh, in Sydney's west. It's along Eastern Creek. It gets flooded pretty well. It's a lot of golf courses that have been built on floodplains. You know, I was at Meadowbrook when I caught up with golf course architect Richard Chamberlain. It went under, completely under. I mentioned the Glades has gone under. A lot of some of the courses that I've been to recently have all gone under. Devastating. We talk about courses being built on floodplains and, and along river edges and creek edges that, that can go under in floods. I think about the site locations and then who's developing that block, who's developing that area, because the houses are usually raised enough from, from a minor and moderate flood level. But the golf course always goes under. I know Meadowbrook goes under quite regularly. We know the, La- the Glades goes under quite regularly, frustratingly so. The houses around them are okay. The clubhouses are normally pretty good. Linwood's a classic. When it goes under, it goes under in the big ones like it did last year, which was slightly higher than this year. The clubhouse is just high enough, matching Lin- the old historic Linwood house, which is about maybe 150 metres away from the clubhouse. It's built. It was built in the 1800s. I think it was in the early 1800s. Just they knew what they were doing. It's right at the, the peak of the maximum flood level. They were doing it 150 odd years ago. They knew what was going on. I wonder does does golf course design change a little bit? I think of the Minipay or the Minapi Golf Course, Cannon Hill in Brisbane. That's just being re, being built at the moment. It's a golf course that's being built on a floodplain around a, a new land release that's happening up there. But the golf course is built on a flooded floodplain area. It's got no bunkers. So they're thinking about this golf course is going to go under regularly. Is that good or bad for one? And two, is that a mitigation thing where they're going, well, we're not going to do bunkers, not sand bunkers. So they don't have any sand on the golf course, a lot less in repair. Do we think about that sort of stuff? You know, have we... Have we being too busy during the drier times and building golf courses and, and fancy golf courses with plenty of bunkers. Twin Creeks has got some magic. I, I, I love the bunkering at Twin Creeks. Graham Marsh design, absolutely sensational to look at, but I would not want to be considering the repair bill if it goes under in a flood. Like Linwood, that was an expensive exercise for the Linwood, for the Linwood Club. I, I do know that they had to repair all their bunkers. Not a cheap exercise. But I wonder, uh, you know, are we going to think about where new golf courses will be built, for example, and how we're going to build them if they're on a floodplain? Good location for a golf course on a floodplain. You can't build residence there. That makes sense. Not being stupid and, you know, people to live in it, obviously. But I think of the repair bill on some of these golf courses. If it's a one in a 500 year event or something, one in a 100 year event, that's, you know, you, you can't control that sort of stuff. But if it's going to go under, like Linwood three times in three years on a La Nina, you know, season, that's tough to deal with. That's expensive to deal with. I wonder, Linwood's a fantastic golf course. I really, really enjoy Linwood, but um, I can't can't get my head around uh, what it would be like to have to repair from a flood again. Um, i love playing it <laughs> i love playing it with it's always in great condition so i'm a big fan and the glades is another one i can't get my head around what it would be like to repair the golf course but i thoroughly enjoy the golf course it's great when it's not underwater and and that's most of the time it's not underwater but when it is it gets it gets damaged so i, I think you know there's a bit of a thought out there for some people and, and maybe i'll ask this question when i get you know on the design brief i might chat to harley next or something um might be a different golf course architect who knows But I'm curious to that one. So I'll leave you with that thought thinking about that stuff because it is also interesting to think about too. But there you go. But look, that's the flood situation at the moment, guys. And that gives you an idea from a Greenkeeper Shed point of view. And this is the Greenkeeper Shed segment to give you an idea of just what your club's going through if they've been flood ravaged by this devastating rain event. Um, I hope it puts things in a perspective for you and how much money it might cost and how much time it's probably going to take. And just think about it next year when you're playing the golf courses. Give them a little bit of yeah, a little bit of leeway that they probably haven't finished repairing and fixing the golf course and got it back up to square one just yet. That's a Green Keeper Shed, guys. Thank you very much for listening. I hope it gives you a bit of an insight as to what's ahead of so many golf clubs and so many people that work on them. As I always say, please like share subscribe that's liking the podcast sharing it around to people you know and subscribing to it so you can stay up to date when new episodes come out you'll get a notification of what's happening when it's popping up in your inbox so you can get out there and listen to it and enjoy it hopefully that's the idea i do thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this episode number 47 of the Golf Green greenkeeper podcast i'm your host steve smith now don't forget I did mention this last podcast episode that I do have advertising space available for anyone in the golf industry, any businesses, any golf clubs, anyone in the greenkeeping industry that's interested in getting their brand out there, getting their name out there. I'm uh, happy to chat with you about it, so just get in touch with me and you can do that thegolfandgreenkeeper at gmail.com or you can message me on Instagram or Facebook and uh, and we can chat about what uh, what sponsorship Uh, availability there is for you to to be involved with the podcast and uh, there are some some packages available there for you if you're interested as i mentioned before my heart goes out to everyone involved with these devastating floods i'll leave you with a with my line you hit them clean we'll keep them green have yourself a lovely weekend and i'll catch up with you next week